You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a selection from our winter trainings course, God's Design for Marriage. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com slash training. Let me um, pray, and then we will start. God, thank you again for our time. Thank you for the six weeks that we could learn about, God, your, your good gift of marriage and, and what it's about. Um, and today we, we as an enter into a talk about intimacy and sex and um, what that is biblically and, and, and how it plays out biblically. Lord, I pray that you would just use my words um, to, to bring glory to your name and you help us all to walk away with a better understanding of what it is and why you created it. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would uh, speak this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you for Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so, uh, real quick, I want to go over our, our definition again, um, because what we have to talk about involves that as well. So, uh, our definition is the God-ordained, marriage is a God-ordained covenantal relationship between a man and a woman that represents Christ's relationship with his church, sanctifies his people, and brings glory to his name. And today we're going to look at an important uh, aspect of the marriage relationship, one that I'm sure... Uh, if you're married, you're familiar with. If you're not married, I hope you're not familiar with. Um, and that is sex uh, and intimacy. So sex and intimacy uh, and finances are the two biggest reasons for divorce in America. Um, Christian, non-Christian. Finances and intimacy. Um, and so that's two, two, one of the main reasons that we, we talk about it during our time. And I really believe that part of the reason for that is because people don't actually understand either one of them biblically, and, and aren't practicing them in the way that God designed it uh, to be practiced. And so that's why we want to talk about it this morning. I want to look at four uh, principles of what the Bible says about sex and help us understand why it should actually lead us closer together and not farther apart. Okay, so first and foremost, sex is pure and holy. Sex is pure and holy. Genesis 1, God created man and woman, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Now, I'm pretty sure we all understand what be fruitful and multiply implies, right? That's the sex process, right? That's how it comes to be. So sex is talked about in Genesis 1. And, and then right not long after that, God calls everything that he created very good. He created all man and woman, uh, be fruitful and multiply, the work that man is supposed to do, all of that is very good. Now, Genesis 3, the fall happens, but it doesn't change the core nature of what God created and how he created it, right? It's fractured, but, but its identity is still the same. Being made in the image of God, all of those things, that still exists. Uh, man is still man, woman is still woman. And the curse actually speaks to the nature of man and woman. Uh, so man being cursed with his work and women being cursed with their childbearing, it, it, it revolves around their identity. And so that is still um, still in place. God still looks at sex and the work and everything that he created is very good, but it is fractured in nature games. And we know this looking at Hebrews 13, 4, that says, Let marriage be held in honor among all people, among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So the writer of Hebrews says, For the marriage bed to be undefiled. Right, so undefiled, uh, the, the, the Greek word of that means pure and unstained, and, it's, and 
it's used three in three other places in the New Testament. I'm going to read through them real quick. Actually, again, in Hebrews 7, 26, it says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. James 1, 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And 1 Peter 4 1 Peter 1.4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. <coughs> so the marriage bed, right, sex within marriage, is to remain in the same condition as Christ's holiness, our inheritance given to us by God, and pure, proper Christianity. Okay? That's, that is the biblical understanding of sex within marriage. So what does this mean for us? Well, sex in marriage is as pure and holy as reading the Bible, as praying, as preaching a sermon, giving an offering, witnessing to a lost person, teaching a Sunday school lesson, anything you do as a Christian, as a married couple, within the, you know, the, the good works in which God has intended for us to do, sex is right there with that. Okay? It is pure and holy in the eyes of God. Now, for those of us who are uncomfortable and embarrassed to talk about sex, have ultimately, now I'm not saying, you know, it's not a little uncomfortable, but to think of it, to view it as uncomfortable, to view it as untalkable, you can't talk about it, is actually a non-biblical, uh, sinful view of what sex is supposed to be. It is pure and holy. We should be able to talk about it, much like we are today, uh, in the same way we would be talking about 1 Peter 1.4. So, um, the now, the only place that sex is pure and holy is within marriage. And the only place that sex is pure and holy is within marriage. Um, the whole idea behind the word holy, it only means set apart. And so it's actually the only thing that, it, it, so it's actually the only thing that um, we're told not to do. You know, it's something that is actually sinful, but then goes to unsinful. But then once you're married, once your condition as, as a single person to a married couple, a uh, married person changes, that act that goes from sinful to set apart and pure and holy. And so it's very important. You know, lying never changes, stealing never changes, cheating never changes. Everything else stays sinful, uh, but not sex in marriage. So it's set apart for the purposes of marriage. Uh, and although it's pure and holy and good, it is not ultimate. Right? It is not ultimate in marriage. So that's at least our second uh, point. Sex is not primary or ultimate in marriage. Sex is not primary or ultimate in marriage. Sex is not the basis of marriage and intimacy. It's rather an aspect of it. Right? It's not the basis of your intimacy within marriage. It's just an aspect of it. Now there are important, there are more important, in my opinion, more important aspects of uh, being a married person. Oneness, right? Oneness, uh, commitment, companionship, all of those things are I think equally as important uh, parts of being a married person. <clears throat> we are to delight in the person and in the person that God has given to us, as well as the person's body that, they have, that He has given to us. So, sex and intimacy is important, even though it's not primary. And three reasons that it is important. Um, one, it fulfills oneness. It fulfills the oneness. It's part of that fulfillment. Genesis two twenty four says, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and uh, hold fast to his wife, and shall become one flesh." Part of this aspect is 
sex in marriage. Uh, I admit said three reasons I've been for them. Doesn't matter. Um, two, fulfills the desires of the spouse. So there are desires that your spouse has, and, and, and this act helps to fulfill those desires. Uh, it helps the spouse out. Sorry, it helps the spouse fight temptation. First Corinthians seven. Now we'll talk about that in, in just a few minutes. And then the fourth is procreation. Genesis uh, one twenty eight says, "Be fruitful and multiply." We kind of mentioned this, but this is how that comes to be. Be fruitful and multiply. So, so we have as much responsibility to uh, fill the earth as we do to subdue it. Right? It's, it's mentioned in the same sentence: "Be uh, fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth." So that's a part of the work that we're supposed to do. Now, I recognize that. Uh, for some people, this is a can be a very sensitive topic. This uh, this whole idea of procreation. Some people have tried. Uh, just to be transparent, we tried with Olive, and we're able to get pregnant, and then since have not, uh, and already talked about adopting, and so we we started down the road of adoption. And um, I don't know if, where you all are, you know, different stages of life and things of that nature, but uh, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Rosie, my adopted daughter, is. Hands down, as much uh, our daughter as our biological daughter. So, if you guys, especially non marrieds or younger marrieds that don't have kids yet, if that becomes something, um, I would remember a couple of things. That God is the opener and closer of the womb. If you look at scripture, He is the opener and the closer of the womb. Okay, so if a womb is closed by God, there should be. Rightfully so, it's the season of mourning, right? That it's part of God's, I mean, it's part of the broken world in which we live in, right? That it is a part of uh, our existence that needs to be redeemed by God. So there should be mourning, but there should also be rejoicing, right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from God himself. And so we shouldn't look at it as a curse. We shouldn't look at it as um, something that is not, uh, although it's hard, God in His sovereignty has allowed it. So we have to look at it as some aspect of, of having a joy. And I would lovingly point you to adoption. There are millions of kids that need homes. And what better home to bring them up in than the one that follows Jesus? And so, so that, that's just kind of a, a caveat there uh, I want to talk about. It because, you know, we talk about, oh, procreation is a part of sex and marriage. That's right. And some people, for one reason or another, um, and God in the sovereignty, he says, no, these people can't get pregnant. So, again, I don't know where you guys all are. A lot of us already have kids in here, some don't. That's okay. Um, just something to consider. Okay, so sex cannot be primary for many reasons. Uh, but the main reason is because if sex is the ultimate form of intimacy in marriage, then what happens if someone physically can't participate in sex? Right? That intimacy still exists in marriage, if, even if, for some reason, uh, one of the partners cannot... Uh, participate. Now, there could be, you know, an, an injury, an accident. I, I don't know what those issues could be, but that does not negate oneness and commitment and intimacy in marriage. So that's why, to me, the, the oneness side of it, um, it is, is more, more important than sex. So, I also feel like this it kind of, it's not, wasn't supposed to, but I think it caveats to our, our third, our next point here, our next principle. That sex is not about giving. Uh, sex is about giving, not getting. 
The goal of sex is to give, not to receive. Okay? The sex is about giving, not getting. The goal of sex is to give, not to receive. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. So, man should give to his wife her conjugal rights. So, the word conjugal rights here, the rights here that it's talking about, is a, is a debt, a debt owed to her within marriage. Right? It's a debt owed to her within marriage. And we know because of context that debt is also related to sex. So we're building an argument here. So she has this debt that she has owed her. It revolves around sex. In other translations, it, it uses words like uh, the affection due her or the benevolence due to her. It's speaking of good sexual debt in marriage. Okay? It's what the wife is owed. And then the husband as well. Um, so according to Paul, the husband has an obligation to provide for her sexually or to give her sexually what she is owed, which, you know, she is, she is owed that according to the scripture. So Paul flips it here when he, when he kind of kills an ideology in our culture. Um, so both obligations, I mean, both spouses have an obligation to fulfill this, right? Both um, spouses have a private, uh, an obligation to fulfill this. Now, I am a firm believer in chivalry, and so I think that men should continue to woo and uh, pursue their wife all the time. But, um, wife, you can and should uh, initiate sex and marriage. Right? You, you are, you're not uh, removed from that to fulfill the obligation um, to your husband, the debt he is owed. So, but because it's between spouses, because it is between spouses, we can know that this idea is rooted in love. Because that's um, how we're to love one another as spouses, right? Like we know that because it's talking about a married couple, that it's not it's not an obligation that is treachery necessarily. It's, it's meant to be a good and loving way to serve our spouse. In fact, love in the scripture always seeks to give. Love in Scripture always seeks to give as a, way, as a means of satisfying or uh, providing, communicating love. Right? A few examples. I think I put them on your sheet. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, the world that He gave His only Son. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live uh, in the one who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in Acts 20, 35, Jesus said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, so in the scriptures, love is always communicated more by giving than by receiving. And you know, ultimately, we we base our entire existence on the gospel, which talks about Christ giving his life for his bride. So if love is the basis of sex, or for sex, then it means the goal of sex is to give and not to get or receive. Now, this is a, a foreign idea to our culture. It is not something you're going to hear out there. Right? It is not. It is the, you know, I hope you don't hear much of this, but the talk is always more about, you know, sexual conquest or things that, you know, or maybe even prowess, right? Like, I'm so good or whatever. Well, that's still me focused. It's still completely about what you can do um, and what you're quote unquote good at, right? But sex is not about technique at all. Sex is about intimacy and giving of love to your spouse. 
approved by both consciences, husband and wife, and what is not physically harmful. So it's never loving to insist on your own way or request something that violates the conscience of your spouse. So within those realms, within that, I think it's you know pretty fair game. But um, but that's again something to you don't as especially as a husband you don't want to lead your wife into sin, and as a wife you don't want to lead your husband into sin. But that would be you know to to demand something that goes against the conscience of your spouse would be to do that. So just have that conversation. Okay, so our last principle here is that sex should be had regularly. Sex should be had regularly. Question, how regularly? How often should couples have sex? Um, I'll say this, frequently enough, the desire, sexual desires of both spouses are satisfied. Frequent enough that the sexual desires of both spouses are satisfied. For some people, this might be a lot. For some people, it might not be as much. That's for you guys to uh, talk about this side. But let's, let's see where, where this comes from. 1 Corinthians, we're gonna kind of read this whole passage here, 7, 2 through 5. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her, her conjugal rights and likewise the wife her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So sex is a good gift from the Lord and marriage. And one of the reasons it is is because it is a weapon used to fight temptation within marriage, used to fight temptation with and for your spouse. Time after time, uh, adultery happens for, for kind of two reasons. One, they violate our, our third principle, which is they're looking to get rather than to give, right? And then the, the second aspect of that is uh, because their desire for sex and satisfaction grows, but then the sex and marriage becomes stagnant or non-existent, it leads to their desires uh, that lead to sin, right? So uh, that goes back to the James 1 principle. You have a desire, and it's a good desire to have sex within marriage, but um, like I said, if, if let's say physically that cannot happen, well, then you, you don't get to just go and satisfy that somewhere else, right? You don't get to do that. Um, so this is a lot of where adultery tends to happen. So conversations at work with a coworker grow a little longer. Um, web pages become a little more discreet, things of that nature. So sex in marriage ser- seeks to serve the spouse because it fulfills their sexual desires which helps them to be self-controlled. So, uh, and, and listen, just, I'm not saying that adultery is not sinful or that it's not the person's fault who commits it. That's not what I'm saying in that. So don't, don't hear that. But, but part of a good gift in marriage, and, and even in the church, right, we don't say this a lot. Like there's not a lot of premarital counseling that says, oh, enjoy intimacy. There's not a lot that says, use it as a weapon against the devil to help you fight sexual temptation. I mean, you don't get that a lot, but it's, it's part of it. And one of the things, quite honestly, that you should be talking about with a clear conscience might be, hey, baby, like, <laughs> it's tough today. Like, could we, you know, I don't know how you have that conversation, but that, and, and the spouse should be like, yes, because I don't want you to sin. 
I mean, I don't want you to sin, so let's do what we got to do. I mean, that's, you know, it doesn't sound so sexy, but it's like, hey, <laughs> that's a part of it. And that's part of the good gift of marriage, of good gift of sex in marriage is that that's a way in which uh, temptation can be fought in marriage is to have sex, right? And that, and that fulfills desires that then that, that could otherwise lead to um, sin. So again, that's not something that's talked about a lot. And it's something that, I mean, you know, I wish it was talked about within, um, before, even when I had my premarital, we didn't, nobody talked with us about that, you know, and I think it's something that we've learned over time and as we've studied and, you know, which has been nice, but, you know, it's not, (laughs) you know, the worst is when like, you know, I'm reading or I'm studying for something and I discover this and I'm like, uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know, hey, baby, um, here's the deal. Uh, I think, you need to help me fight temptation and I need to help you fight temptation? Could we just, you know, again, like it's starting off talking about that stuff from the very beginning is, is helpful and, and, and it doesn't make it weird and taboo. It's, you know, we, sh- we, wanna, we wanna help our spouse uh, spur them on towards righteousness as a brother and sister in Christ, but also as a, a married couple. And so if that's one of the things that the, the, the you know, desire is growing and there's something that your spouse needs in marriage, then we should be willing and ready to fulfill that. So, um, particular here, the time to not have sex spoken of here uh, is a time of seeking uh, of the Lord, seeking the Lord. So here it's prayer, but it's not necessarily talking about prayer specifically. It's an abstinence for an agreed upon time for a godly purpose, right? It's for an abstinence agreed upon time for a godly purpose. So uh, the, the flip side of that is that there's always a time that is um, agreed upon to return, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a season of whatever prayer or whatever to, to seek a godly purpose, but on the front end, there should be a, a, an agreed upon time to return to that. Now, I think actually this is a bit of a hard passage because we don't, um, we don't practice it exactly this way or, or, or this idea is, is not our norm for us. But the, the point I think that we can all take away from it is that there shouldn't be a regular break in the process of sex, especially in light of helping with sexual temptation. It should be a regular and normal part of marriage. Now, again, it's not saying, you know, necessarily every day per se. This is an area that you guys need to talk about and discuss um, with your spouse. Okay, so those are our four principles. We're not going to go super long today for a couple of reasons, um, one of which my Wife is out of town, and so I have da- uh, daddy duty, which is not a good reason to cut a teaching short, but I'm just being honest with you. Um, but I wanted to leave you guys with a couple of um, resources. I think I put them on your form. Um, a couple of great resources, no matter how long you've been married. Um, I would say people who are not married in here, that um, write them down especially the first one, but don't buy it and read it until it's you know, married time. Um, so the first one is a, a book called Intended for Pleasure. Uh, it's, called, it's by Dr. Ed Wheat and his wife. Um, so this guy, <laughs> it's essentially like reading a, a sex manual, but like from a Christian perspective. So, and he's a doctor, and so he basically says, this is how everything works. If this doesn't work, try this. If this doesn't work, try this. And it's very explicit, it's very descriptive, it's very helpful, you know, it, it, it's a good resource um, for sex within marriage. But that's a little bit more of the, the detailed kind of descriptive. 
There's another one that Bill mentioned. It's called Sheep Music by Dr. Kevin Lehman. So, um, and then in The Exemplary Husband and the Excellent Wife, which we talked about, there are chapters about intimacy. Um, not as a, a little bit more principle-based, but there's some stuff in there. And then uh, the, my, probably my favorite book, uh, non-descriptive necessarily, uh, is a book called The Biblical Principles of Sex by Dr. Bob Smith. He's a biblical counselor and an MD, and he, it's just, I pulled a lot of stuff from today's talk from, from this book. He's, it's, it's a, kind of hard to find sometimes. It like goes in and out of print, but uh, it's a great, just a great resource if you want to talk about, I mean, I don't know, sex with your kids later and things like that. It's a great resource. Um, so you guys have been fantastic. Thank you for enduring the, the I won't say enduring, for attending the six weeks. I hope it has been beneficial. I hope it has been profitable. Um, I think, you know, at the root of family in America and the world is marriages. And I think that the more we can do to strengthen them, the better. Um, so let me pray for you guys and for your marriages, and we'll be done. God, thank you again for our time, and thank you for um, the good gift of marriage, the one that points us to you and displays our relationship with our groom, Jesus, um, and, and sanctifies us. You use it to sanctify us. Um, and so, Lord, help us to welcome that and, and be grateful for that, um, and just help us to to hopefully implement some of these things that we would strengthen our marriage uh, and that, God, you would be glorified through, through us doing that, Lord. Help us, as, in particular in, in, the, in, the, in the arena of sex within our marriage, Lord, I pray that you would bless that um, with these married couples and that you would just um, help them to enjoy the good gift that you have given. And Lord, and there are people in here that are, are not married or, or soon to be married, I pray that you would just help them, um, that you would strengthen them to fight temptation. Uh, to keep the, the marriage bed undefiled and pure. Uh, Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and the grace that allows us to repent, that allows us to uh, be transformed by your gospel. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.